One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and welcome to The Daily Beast, the new abnormal. I'm a left wing pundit and an editor at large at The Daily Beast. We're here to have fun, sharp conversations with some of the smartest people in media, politics, and science that help make what's happening in the country and the world clearer. Our world has been turned upside down. On The New Abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and figure out how to get ourselves out of it. And I'm producer Jesse Kennan. I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. Today, we have a super interesting episode. We'll be talking to Dr. Eric Topol, founder of the Scripps Research Transitional Institute, about the latest on vaccines and what's next for the rollout. Then we'll talk to John Anzalone, a Democratic pollster, about our favorite subject, how the Dems win in the midterms. But first, we have editor-in-chief of The Bulwark and host of The Bulwark podcast, Charlie Sykes. Welcome to the new abnormal, Charlie Sykes. I can't believe you've never been here. I was sure we'd had you on like 15 times. I just assumed you had high standards. i don't know i I was convinced i was like i said i said to jesse this weekend i was like well we can't have charlie sykes on again because we've had him so many and then i was like oh my god we've never had i mean i'm such a fan of yours and i've been on your podcast which is incredible but not recently enough so we'll we'll have to reciprocate anytime man i'm always around for the bulwark my one of my you know spiritual homes let's talk about junky horses can we I am so embarrassed that on my own podcast, which I just finished, I didn't talk about junkie horses. See, this is why you are actually really getting good at this, Molly, because this should have been the dominant topic today. The junkie horses. It's all about the junkie horses, but we can call Jim Swift right now and be like, Jim Swift, we need a junkie horse amendum. Uh, Amendum. Amendum. Yes. A little footnote of the junkie horse. What do you think that was about? Donald Trump's lonely. He's got time on his hands. I I don't know. (laughs) Somebody must have said, okay, here's something that people can get outraged about. And what was unclear to me, and I think you tweeted about this, is does Donald Trump know it's a horse? I mean, did he actually know? That that the horse is a horse, and also the Joe, <laughs> the Joe Biden is is not feeding horses crack. I, the Joe Biden had nothing yeah. to do with all of this, but but America's going to hell. It's American carnage, and That's right. what, what whatever feeds into that narrative, just go with it. That was sort of amazing to me. Like he was like, and the world is going to hell because the horse is on drugs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what is that? I was expecting that he was going to go off on birthing people. That this is Mother's Day and saying all the left, you know, the the left refuses to say mother. Um, They they want to call all of you birthing people. And then, of course, you'd have a million people saying, yes, that's it. The the Democrats and the the left just hate mothers. That's right. So I think I felt it was kind of a missed opportunity. So he's going for the the junkie horse. The more obscure. He didn't take the the, the old Shapiro route. Yeah. Ben Shapiro has tweeted that 
Mother's Day tweet. Yeah, I mean, if if you follow Ben Shapiro, you'll basically get every meme, every narrative out there, every low-hanging <laughs> bit of fruit. Let's find one <laughs> nut job from the, I don't, I don't know, you know, feminist studies department of, you know, lower Arkansas University. <laughs> and, and they'll put out something about this and suddenly it becomes, this is academia. They're coming for you. They hate you. Yeah. Now, you know these players some of them well. So I'm curious to know, on Sunday, McCarthy told the money, honey, that he is supporting Elise Stefanik. What do you think is going on in his goldfish brain? Oh, his goldfish brain is very, very simple. It's like, this is what I've been told to do. This is what I have to do. I'm going to be the speaker. Um, I'm going to, you know, play all of those particular notes. But it was it was interesting that he went on the Money Honey show. And that's, I mean, yeah. that's that's kind of a tell that you are the you know, Republican leader of the House of Representatives, and you're announcing this major thing, and you go on Maria Bartiromo's show? I mean, really? Yeah. Well, because, you know, crazy calls unto crazy. <laughs> and, I mean, it's like the, from, the, from the depths that, you know, I am embracing the batshit crazy stream in my party. Where should I go and announce this? Oh, I don't know, on these batshit crazy Fox business show yeah charlie i think i think you have a really good update there to stupid is as stupid does crazy goes on to crazy yeah they're cognate they flow from one to another so at least stefanik is an amazing story isn't she yeah now she's not very right wing in some ways except she does chop the lie well she was you know the girl most likely too just a few years ago I, I think it was uh paul ryan who's really turned out to be a great mm -hmm. uh, judge of character <laughs> He said she's not just the future of the Republican Party. She is the future of inclusive, aspirational politics. Well, appar apparently um, he was wrong and she or she just simply made she, amazingly or she's made a very, very different choice. And she's she's going on and she's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to run to Steve Bannon. OK, so this, this is the path. Yeah. Infowars. Kevin McCarthy goes to Maria Bartiromo. Elise Stefanik goes to Steve Bannon. That calculus is basically you can't win without the base, right? The, the, the calculus is you can't win without the complete batshit crazy base. I mean, see, I think people almost miss the point here that it's worse than you think it is. So people are saying that, that now the new litmus test is loyalty to Trump. No, because actually Liz Cheney has been pretty loyal to Trump. It's loyalty to Trump's craziest elements. It's loyalty to specifically to his lie about the election, because you can be against you can vote against the tax cuts. You can vote against him on on, you know, gay and lesbian rights. You can, you can vote against him on any other thing. But as long as you embrace the batshit crazy election lie, you're, you're gold. You're good. It's amazing. Speaking of batshit crazy election lie, can we talk about cyber ninjas? Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> They're looking for bamboo. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know this is your party or it was. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is I, this is this is no one's part. I let's see. It's some it's somebody's <laughs> party, but you actually should play the audio of the guy because people will think, oh, you guys are making this up. There's accusations that 40,000 ballots were flown in. To Arizona? Into Arizona, and it was stuffed into the box, okay? And it came from the southeast part of the world, Asia, okay? And, uh, and what they're doing is to find out if there's bamboo in the paper. So what does the bamboo, why, why do you check for bamboo? Because they use bamboo in their paper processing. Who's they? 
people in Southeast Asia. You can't make this stuff up that they're looking for bamboo in the ballots because there was report. There are reports that maybe tens of thousands of ballots were flown in from China into Maricopa <laughs> County, Arizona to steal the election. And I'm, I'm just trying to imagine looking into the eyes of a person that believes this, you know, and trying to see, hello, are you there? What's, what is going on in your head? Why are you focusing on the bamboo ballots here and not the North Korean ballots that came through Maine? Remember that story? <laughs> I thought it was interesting. We had this Chinese space rocket coming down to Earth the size of a school bus. Like, if you're going to be anti-China, why not focus on something that is actually from China as opposed to this bat shittery? I've almost lost the thread of why people believe what they believe. But but you're right. I mean, the, the Chinese space program apparently is about as careful as, I don't know, they're, they're, not, they're not really into safety and doing stuff. I Maybe that should be reassuring to some of us that they, they can't get this stuff right. Yes, but so they can't deal with their space debris, but somehow they have cunningly come up with a way to replicate tens of thousands of Arizona ballots and print them in Wuhan, put them on a plane. But, uh, you know, Chuck Grassley, uh, you know, senator from Iowa, who tweeted out over the weekend, you know, why are people upset about all this? They're just asking questions. They're just asking questions, (laughs) which which is okay. Okay, Chuck, um, just remind me again why we don't have a mandatory retirement age in the Senate. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of just asking questions, we're starting to hit this place where we can't get people to get vaccinated. You know, the willing are done and the sort of willing are almost done. And now we have to try to convince people who don't believe in science. Tucker Carlson last week just asked a lot of questions that were on the heavy on the anti-vaxxing. Do you have thoughts about how public health officials can reach those? I mean, some people will never get vaccinated, but this sort of the people who don't totally get the mechanics of this. No, I, I don't have an answer uh, to, to all of this. And, and of course, it was also my uh, senior senator from my home state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, who's also asking questions out there, raising questions about the vaccination with the same misinformation. I don't know. I wish I had an answer for you. You have this toxic post-truth media ecosystem that's very difficult to break into, that seems to create this sort of vortex of craziness. And so how do you, you step in and say, you know, uh, unless, unless you are the personal physician of a person who is, who's binging on, on Fox News, unless you're the personal physician, I guess that would be the only way to do it. But I guess I, you know, and this is not funny, right? No, the utter recklessness of People like Fox News and, and others who are putting out information that could actually cause people to die. I, yeah. I mean, that's it. It's one thing to spin various, you know, memes about, you know, birthing people and stuff like that. This is real stuff. And the other part that's bizarre about it is, is that if we really do want to get back to normal and you know, all, all of the folks who've been opposed to the masking and, you know, this all freedom and not having any lockdowns, the best way to get rid of masks and get rid of lockdowns, right, is to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Yeah. So it's it, 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 it makes no it makes no sense. But in the most technically advanced civilization known to man, here we are sitting with half the population just not believing in technology or medicine. It's amazing to me that we are in this place where we can't 
where we have a percentage of the American people, including senators and Congress people who are shopping this weird. They don't want the vaccine, but they also don't want the lockdowns. And they seem not to be able to figure out that the vaccines make the lockdowns end. Well, and also all the incentives that we're seeing in American politics that there, there's, there's no downside for being crazy and irresponsible. I mean, let me. Here's a scene from the yeah. party. You have Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene are out there. They're out there on the speaking uh, circuit. They are members in good standing of the Republican Party. There's no disciplinary, no disciplinary action. She's not on committees anymore. No, I know, but I mean, she, the Republicans haven't done anything to her. And yet, if you tell the truth about the election, like Liz Cheney, if you tell the truth, you are purged. So there's no downside for crazy. And there's a significant downside for telling the truth. Maybe that's the significant, you know, I've kind of gone from the election. It's it's just, I think that there's kind of a continuum of crazy that if you're going to believe, if you're going to believe that, you know, that the Chinese have, you know, bamboo laced ballots, you're going to believe (laughs) that, that Bill Gates is implanting microchips in your vaccine. I mean, there's... (laughs) <laughs> that, that, that seems like the sort of the logical dinner table conversation that's taking place in middle America now. It's the only thing that makes sense. So, Charlie, you mentioned the media bubbles. It seems now inevitable that Trump's live journal that he called a social media platform will turn <laughs> into a social media platform. Are you concerned about the greater bubble that's going to be created of just conservatives having their own Twitter and the rest of us having their own one? Well, I think that's where we're trending anyway. And it's beyond a bubble. It's it's like a hermetically sealed alternative reality silo now. And so this, this, this is the danger, is that you keep forcing people further and further off into the edges of the fever swamp, talking with one another. And of course, then you you have the the cycle of, you know, everybody needs the the stronger dopamine hit and, you know, proves mm-hmm. the, you know, keeps people angry and outraged and fearful. So you, you're constantly upping the dose uh, that, that you have to pedal on the street. So yeah, in 2017, people asked me about what was going on with the media ecosystem. And I said, everything that's happening is going to get worse. But I will admit to you, I had no idea. I had no idea that it was going to get this much worse. And we're seeing it in the post-Trump era that, if anything, Trump's defeat has made the right crazier. I don't think of myself as terribly naive, but I did think that maybe there would be a little bit more of a backing away from this sort of thing. The Trumpian fever would inevitably break if Trump was in fact defeated. But now it seems to be metastasizing. He's he's out of the picture and it feels like it's multiplying and maybe even spinning out of control. Uh, so yes, yeah. So in answer to your question, yeah, I, I think people ought to be very concerned about this and I'm not sure what to do about it. It's strange because it's you would think that if Trump were silenced, things would go back to normal, but it seems like Trump has really kind of disappeared. But And I've heard from sort of people who are friends in that world who say they're very disappointed with Trump. They feel like he's not fighting. He's just going and playing golf. I'm like, isn't that what he did anyway? Wait, you have friends in that world? (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear more about this. (laughs) The people I know who, you know, in that ecosystem of Palm Beach dysfunction are mad at him for not doing more, even though he's never done anything. But it seems like the Republican Party is able to continue on the crazy without him. Oh, very much so. And, and you know, and part of it is, and, and this is why I think people ought to be concerned about, you know, the Elise Stefanics of the world, you know, because, she, you know, she, she I, I hold her to a different standard than Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, let's face it, Marjorie Taylor Greene is dumb. 
I mean, she's dumb yeah. as a box of hair. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. whatever. The at least the Phonics and the Josh Hawleys and the Ted Cruz's and those guys, they know what they're doing. I mean, that's the real cynicism of it that they're using their their education, their 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 insight in order to propagate this stuff. And 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 that's that's the problem. I mean, these are the folks that could have. I mean, there are alternatives, right? I mean, they could have taken this in a different direction. And yet, it's like they're vying with one another who can who can sell the purest grade crap on the street. <laughs> you know, I mean it, it really is. It's like breaking bad political version, you know. <laughs> you know, Josh Holly is down there, you know, in the hazmat suit trying to develop the purest possible form of crazy meth. You know? <laughs> yeah. To that point, I think that we did get another dose of which side of that Kevin McCarthy was on this morning when Adam Kinzinger tweeted a few days before January 6, our GOP members at a conference call, I told Kevin that his words and our party's actions would lead to violence on January 6. Kevin dismissively responded with, okay, Adam, operator, next question. And we got violence. This seems pretty bad that uh, the person in charge at the wheel right now is uh, this dumb. And it could get worse because I think the odds favor Kevin McCarthy being the next Speaker of the House. Imagine what that's going to be like for the next two years. Imagine if you have a Republican majority in power during the 2024 election. So I, I, I do think that that's alarming. Now, Kevin McCarthy is, again, one of those extraordinary stories where, you know, for a brief moment, his he, he, had, a, he had a little burst, a little spasm of independence and, you know, called out uh, Donald Trump for his role in the in the insurrection. And then he got over that very quickly, didn't he? And he's retconning the entire insurrection. He's down at uh, Mar-a-Lago kissing the ring. And he's uh, leading the purge of Liz Cheney, who's basically saying the exact same thing that he said back after January 6th. Part of it is just the cravenness, his unwillingness to stand up to Donald Trump, you know, his willingness to throw any scruples about truth. Uh, and just the raw ambition that that this is his path to become speaker. And, you know, he'll say and do whatever it takes to get that power, even if it means ignoring threats of violence, even if it means downplaying and whitewashing attempts to uh, overthrow our democracy. Does that mean that there will be no more normal Republicans like they'll just get flushed out? It feels like that right now. I mean, I, 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 I know there's a group of, of, of folks who are coming out with a, you know, a, a joint letter, a lot of, you know, prominent Republicans uh, later this, this week. But, but, I, but I do think that that's kind of the storyline right now is, is that they are flushing out the, the normal Republicans, or at least the Republicans who aren't willing to embrace this. Now, the, there is a group of Republicans that probably knows that it's dishonest and crazy, but they've just decided they're going to keep their heads down and keep their mouths shut because they think that's that's prudent. I mean, how many are, are, are they? And, you know, I don't want to name any names like, you know, Congressman Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin. <laughs> the guys who know what's going on, but just, you know, lack the, the willingness to stand up. Where would they be in 2024? If you decide, I'm not going to speak up, I'm not going to fight, I'm not going to, you know, correct all of this. If, if that becomes a habit, when it really matters are are can we assume that they're going to step forward and again i don't i, I don't want to name any names you know like like mike gallagher <laughs> but well and the reason i'm, I'm focused on him is it, it might actually come down to that because people will say right. would would a republican congress refuse to certify the election and which i'd like to say is no you know there's just enough of the normal republicans who would stand up for democracy that would never happen people like mike gallagher 
who, by the way, is worth fuck all right now. So, but, but, but really, when it counted, he, he would step up. Our friend and a guy who you had on the get, on the pod on Friday, David from, mm-hmm. said to me and probably to you, has a theory that it takes three lost elections for a party to change their course. So midterms. Trump election and this 2022. Do you think that's overly optimistic? Maybe it is. I, I, I think that's a good formula, and I think it works in the past, but I think our politics is changing so rapidly, I just don't know what rules apply anymore. Also, what does it mean to lose an election if you have a party that is committed to never losing an election? I mean, they will never admitting they lost an election. Yeah. I mean, I right. No, that's a good point. Uh, now I'm really depressed. Don't we think that the big change really is, is that now the base is leading the party instead of the party is messaging the base? It seems like that's really the flip. Oh, I think that's that's exactly that is exactly right. That there's not a I, I think we sometimes I think you were getting at this before, you know, focus on the leadership of the party. Party. There is no leadership in the party. They are followers, and they are following this base, which is crazier and crazier. And you know, in part, it's because nobody pushes back. I mean, I I, I understand that if you stand up and you you say, hey, you know, stand athwart crazy and, and say, stop this. It might cost you your, your position. But if enough people did, maybe it would slow it down a little bit. Right. But yeah, it's, it is absolute abject fear, not just of the base, but of the craziest elements of the base. And you see that right. playing out in places like Arizona and Texas and uh, Georgia, uh, certainly Virginia. With this crazy drive-through convention, so it's it's sort of the worst leading the worst, and there's this competition again of you know who's going to pander to them the most. It, it does feel like a spiral. The question is whether it's a it's a death spiral for the Republican Party or whether it's a death spiral for for all of us. Hey, folks! If you haven't heard, every single week we do a special bonus episode for Beast Inside, the Daily Beast membership program. Sometimes we interview senators like Cory Booker or the folks who explain what's happening behind the scenes in media like Jim Acosta or Soledad O'Brien. Sometimes we just have fun and talk to our favorite comedians and actors like Busy Phillips or Billy Eichner. And sometimes we just have friends around to analyze what's happening in the news. You can get all of our episodes in your favorite podcast app of choice by becoming a Beast Inside member, where you'll support the Beast's fearless journalism, as well as getting full access to podcasts and articles. To become a member, head to newabnormal.thedailybeast.com. That's newabnormal.thedailybeast.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's something I've really been needing to get off my chest lately, which is that everyone and their mother should listen to the Andre 3000 album because it lifts my spirits on a regular basis, 1000%. We all carry around different problems, big and small. And let's be honest, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It's like this safe space where you can unload all those burdens and start figuring out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy can make a difference. I know this from firsthand experience, and it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for anyone who wants to improve their mental well-being. Therapy can help you learn coping skills. It can teach you how to set better boundaries, and it can make you be a better version of yourself. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which means it's convenient, flexible, and fits into your schedule seamlessly. Plus, getting started is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait? Take that first step towards a happier, healthier you with BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash The New Abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash The New Abnormal. Dr. Eric Topol is director and founder of the Scripps Research Transitional Institute. Welcome back to The New Abnormal, Dr. Eric Topol. Hey, Molly. Great to be with you. It's great for you to be back. I feel like we've been with you this whole pandemic. Well, I remember the first time we hooked up was the day the Pfizer vaccine data came out. That was a pretty exciting day. Yeah. I know. That was really exciting. Speaking of Pfizer vaccine data, what do you think this week? Are my kids going to get the vaccine? Yeah, it should be approved this week for 12 to 15-year-olds. And I wouldn't think there would be any delay uh, as far as uh, going forward. So, yeah. Even more uh, transformative is the application for full licensure, because when that when that hits, that would have the biggest impact for accelerating vaccination, because so many employers, health systems, uh, universities, they're all holding back until there's full licensure, right? Because of this legal, you know, issue. So that that would be tremendous, and that may happen hopefully in the weeks ahead as well. Explain to me why that is a little bit. Well, it's silly stuff because we have hundreds of millions of people who've had the mRNA vaccines, both Pfizer and Moderna. They were approved under this uh, emergency use authorization. By the way, the first you know vaccine ever under right. an NUA. The legal people are saying, well, to have that as a requirement when it isn't gotten full licensure right. and it's only emergency. So it, it, it's really a matter of semantics because once you have it out globally in such a tremendous population with such safety and efficacy, that should be enough. But now they're just waiting for this final FDA blessing. Let's talk about what you're seeing Well, we are in a really amazing phase of the pandemic in the U.S. because we've gotten over the U.K. variant B117 hump, which was a very serious threat. Uh, We're over that. We prevented a fourth wave. And so now, as long as we can get another 15 to 20 percent of Americans vaccinated in the next couple of months, we will have containment. We've never had containment. Containment, I mean, is less than one 
per case per 100,000 Americans. The lowest we've ever been in the pandemic was six. And that was when cases were, a lot of them were undiagnosed. It was probably 10 or 12. So we, we're, right now we're at 12. And so it just shows we've got an order of magnitude to get better. And we can do that if we can just get another, oh, you know, 30 to 40 million people to come on board with vaccination. Have we come up against the people who are vaccine hesitant or are they just vaccine indifferent? Well, it's a combination. We've got anti-vaxxers. We've got, you know, some hesitant, some relative resistant. It's a continuum. But, you know, I do think that um, the biggest impact is when it becomes a requirement to work in so many places. You know, where the health system I work, it hasn't been a requirement and it should be. Every healthcare worker should have a vaccination. And then, you know, when you start seeing things like if you want to fly or if you want to do a lot of things. So we have not used the incentives about, you know, demasking and, you know, having much more pre-COVID life restored. And there's lots more incentives out there that haven't yet really been actualized. So I'm optimistic we will get there. It's not, unfortunately, at the pace when we got to 4.6 million vaccinations in one day in this right. country, which was, a, you know, that was amazing. amazing. But yeah. we, we, hopefully we can get back up to the at least two and a half to three million a day. And the most important thing to keep an eye on is how many of the first dose vaccines. Like yesterday, we had 800,000. That's great. If we could keep that going, we will be golden by end of June. You know, in my mind, those conservatives came out, and I don't want to say conservatives because they're not really conservatives, they're Trumpists, came out early and hard against vaccine Mm. passports. And they said, it's not fair, it's not just, it's this, it's that. But ultimately, if we had vaccine passports, we could start having sporting events tomorrow. We could have full stadiums tomorrow. We could have Broadway shows tomorrow. I mean, not having vaccine passports is a way of really slowing things down. Yeah, we're seeing that, like, for example, in Israel, where they have, you know, uh, sports events with tens of thousands of people all together because they have a vaccine passport program. I mean, there's only really two options. Either one, you have a passport, or two, you have rapid home uh, antigen tests that right. give you results in minutes. And if you haven't been vaccinated, that at least are shown not to be infectious. Uh, these are the only ways we can help protect each other because eventually all the people that haven't been vaccinated are sitting ducks to get infected. Right. I mean, is there any way we can do this now or you think it's too late? Well, I think this country just doesn't want to go to the passport full throttle. I think we'll see some watered down version. I mean, for example, you can't go to a lot of countries traveling. Even now, you have to have certain vaccines and that's going to be the case for international travel uh, for COVID. And then the question is, you know, how deep do we go inside the U.S.? And that's going to be played out over time because the employer thing is the biggest. And so many employers over the next few months, when it's full licensure of multiple vaccines, they're going to move to a requirement. Uh, just like we have flu vaccines in many states that are a requirement in the healthcare uh, community. So we'll see a gradual thing. It won't be the full passport and people just get bristled when they something is mandated but in this country. But it's for everyone's protection. You know, that's the thing. I, I mean, I just don't get it. Talk to me about the IP waivers. I know the IP waivers are just a first step, right? Because you need to still have someone making the vaccines. Right. The, the IP IP waivers are 
you know, a nice proxy that we're trying to help, but they in themselves are not going to be, you know, changing anything substantively. The problem we have right now, even though things are starting to calm down in South America, uh, it's lighting up in India and in other countries in Asia. Uh, you know, for we're seeing Malaysia, Japan, many countries are, are going in the wrong direction, not just uh, India. So, we don't have enough vaccines in the U.S. in our glut with the AstraZeneca, 100 million doses, uh, J&J, tens of millions of doses. We don't have enough in our domain to help squash what's going on in India. But whatever we have, which we don't need, we should be distributing you know, to COVAX or yeah. directly to countries because it will help to some degree. But we as a uh, we as a country, although we were the you know in such sorry shape uh, last year, we have an opportunity to be a global leader and helping all the other countries uh, around the world. And it doesn't need to be sequential. That is, you know, we get our COVID house in order in this country, and then we direct our efforts. No, it should be in parallel. It's, it should be simultaneous. So we haven't done enough yet to help countries throughout the world, and we should be. Yeah. No, it see it seem it's really kind of shocking to me. I mean, I know we're in this impossible situation, but there is a soft power and we see right China is sending their vaccine. Mm. There's you know, countries get a soft power by saving lives, right? Right, right. And and Russia too, yes. Yeah. And those vaccines of both those countries have some issues. They're not, you know, clearly that they don't have the track record publication-wise as well as efficacy-wise. So, you know, they are being promoted in a lot of countries uh, around the world. And as you say, that soft power. We should be doing all we can to, you know, we're so darn lucky. I think that's the thing that people don't realize. To have vaccines, the first to roll out with 95% efficacy and unprecedented safety. And, and, you know, we can help make these for the rest of the world at a a very accelerated um, schedule. So I hope we'll do that. All right. I have a question for you that is going to blow your socks off. Actually, maybe it won't. I hope it will, though. I was walking down the street the other day, and I ran into a friend of mine who is a dad, and he said to me, we've gotten everyone in our family vaccinated but our 18-year-old daughter. Mm. And I've heard this again and again, smart people believing that there's some fertility issue with the vaccines, can you please explain to them why this is hooey? Wow. Yeah, I've been hearing that along with many other uh, complete myths about, you know, things that have been made up and fabricated. There's absolutely nothing to substantiate any effect, even a possible effect on fertility. So this is this is absurd, uh, as are so many other things that have to be debunked out there that the anti-science world has fabricated and conjured up. You know, things like the, the mRNA is a gene modifying and that it escapes all over the body. You know, all this complete, utter malarkey, as Joe <laughs> Biden would say, or <laughs> BS, right? All right. And it, we it's, say, it's come sad. on, man. Yeah. yeah, come on, man. I mean, it's just sad to see this because it's so destructive. Yeah. And and for, like you say, very intelligent people are, are uh, sucked into this. Just give us like a two-second pitch. We have a friend who won't get vaccinated, they say mRNA isn't safe. Give us the elevator pitch so we can use it in our lives. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy stuff because, you know, um, if the vaccine had gotten approval in October 
you know, the October surprise with right. 32 people Which is what he in wanted. the Pfizer trial. Then I could see people saying it happened too fast, but it was done so rigorously and waiting for the trials to be completed before they were eligible to get reviewed for the emergency authorization. So the mRNA thing is, is actually, you know, extraordinary. In fact, today was the pan-coronavirus mRNA vaccine against all variants, against SARS-CoV-1, against BAT-CoV. I mean, it's just amazing platform. Wait, explain to us what that is, because that's a fascinating thing. Yeah, so the whole idea is that it turns out this virus family is eminently suitable to take down as a family. Right. So that all, instead of going variant by variant in the years ahead, we could just take the whole thing down because the science has progressed so well. The the structural biology of the virus and the vaccines and, you know, we, we can do this. And in fact, today in Nature, a seminal paper uh, from the group at Duke and collaborators where they have made a vaccine against all variants, the original SARS from 2003, bat COVID. I mean, so mRNA is this ex- exceptional platform, you know, that really is so safe, so safe. And it makes us develop antibodies at a level that are superhuman, yeah, supernatural. And that's why they're so darn effective. And that's why they're going to last longer than even human natural immunity. Oh, interesting. I always say to people, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, that mRNA vaccines have actually been around. They were sort of tested on SARS, right? Yes, they were tested in small levels, uh, you know, with multiple viruses before. They were in a warm-up phase. I mean, this didn't happen too fast. It took 30 years. Right. 30 years of working on mRNA. And the last five years uh, against different virus targets. So it was just kind of all the the table was set, you know, the foundation was laid. And then when, when COVID came along, it just was deployed in that way. But there was nothing so new. It was just that, you know, everything went into this hyper accelerated mode of, you know, let's get the sequence of the virus. Let's make the RNA. Let's get it in a nanoparticle. Let's get it into patients, you know, first, of course, in, in animals and, and non-human primates. Then in large trials, the largest clinical trials ever done with vaccines, 75,000 right. people in the, the two mRNA vaccines. And then, uh, you know, the, the uh, approvals and the rollout. I mean, this has been something that's never been replicated in the history of, of medicine. Yeah, it's amazing. And I feel like we are living in really amazing times. There were articles in the New York Times last week about this idea that we may never reach herd immunity. I've also heard people talk about this idea that we will we'll get to a place where we can where we can really treat the virus. What I think is I'm so sick of hearing of herd of herd immunity. Right. It's, it's, the concept is meaningless. What right. we want to get is containment of this, you know, level that we've never been close to, which is approaching, you know, the zero, like, you know, where Israel is today, where Los Angeles is now, which is amazing in itself, Right. 0.7 cases per 100,000 people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or actually, you know, Los Angeles is two something, but the whole idea is get below one. Then it's so incredibly contained, right? That right. Uh, that's about as close as we're going to get. I mean, that's what we should be shooting for, our quantitative metric. 
not this amorphous herd immunity, which you don't know until you've achieved it, that the virus can't find a host. Well, right. the virus doesn't isn't finding too many people when you're getting down to close to zero per 100,000 people. So that's what I think we should be zooming in on, which is containment at the lowest possible level. And we're going to get there. We're going to be there, hopefully, by June or July. It's amazing. Did you ever think it would go this well? Well, I was really worried about the UK variant because what it, the toll it took throughout Europe, not just yeah. in the UK. And in fact, in Israel, they, these were, in many countries, the worst uh, surge of their entire pandemic. You know, if we didn't have the advance warning, and we got to give a lot of credit, which hasn't been given yet, to the UK. First, they alerted us in late December, mm -hmm. and they told us this was highly transmissible, had higher lethality. Uh, you know, this is this is a really dangerous variant, and indeed, it is the worst variant in that regard that we have seen. Yeah, but we had that advance warning, and we had a very you know strong vaccination campaign, and we we fended it off. We were really really lucky. So that could have been you know even worse than our monster surge. It's a super spreader variant. And it gets younger people really sick, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because the viral load in each person who gets infected, including in, in children and adolescents, is much higher. So the illness that it causes is more severe. That's why there's higher lethality. That's awful. We created a wall, you know, the right kind of wall, not, not the other kind of wall. Yeah. We, we had a wall, a vaccine yeah. wall. And we blocked it. And the only state that suffered substantially was Michigan. But by the time every other state got going, in addition to their prior COVID hit from 2020, we had built a, a, a true wall. Why do you think Michigan did so poorly? Well, it's a combination of things. For one, they got hit you know, early on. It was, it was Michigan and Florida that were getting the highest levels of this variant. Uh, for spreading. I mean, you know, that's part of this kind of super spreading events that were occurring in Michigan. In addition, they didn't have a second wave there. So they were missing a lot of people that were didn't have natural immunity. And then third, you know, it was pretty cold up there. Yeah. Still. Yeah. And a lot of people were indoors. Right. And there's a lot of gatherings and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think this combination of those three things probably accounts for why Michigan was hit so hard. And the other thing is we didn't blitz it with vaccines at the earliest possible time before it went exponential. The military has and is giving a more broad COVID vaccine, right? Oh, yeah. The the, the military hasn't yet uh, revved up. I mean, the fact that so few in the military have been vaccinated is yet another part of that licensure story. We have to get the whole military vaccinated. And that's a, so these are the groups of people that, you know, it isn't so much that they are, the people are resistant. It's just that our process of getting this full licensure, we, we got to accelerate that so we can take care of the military, healthcare workers, all schools and universities, you know, most major employers. And then you'll see, you know, the wall will be fortified to the nth degree. Has J&J &J really taken a hit since the being pulled off the market? Uh, I don't know. It's mixed reports. It's hard to know. I mean, I think that there are a lot of people like the one and done. I think that we're going to see in the weeks ahead the two-dose vaccine of J&J, &J, which could turn out to be, you know, very effective like the mRNA vaccines at that level in the 90 plus. So I think the jury's still out, but, you know, I think that it, it is a, uh, a, a very uh, important vaccine. 
And the issue about the clotting events, they're, you know, exceedingly rare. Uh, but there is still this controversy in people who are relatively young, predominantly female, that there's this risk. You know, is it one in 100,000 or one in 300,000? So that's just like an overhang, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, this was so good. Thank you so much, Dr. Eric Topol. I hope you'll come back soon. Of course. Anytime, Molly. Great to be with you. Great to be with you. What's crazier than QAnon? More outlandish than Pizzagate? And scarier than a Mexican getaway with Ted Cruz? The answer is what the American right wing has planned next. Be one of the first to listen to Fever Dreams, the new podcast from the Daily Beast tracking the conspiracy slingers, orange acolytes, and straight-up grifters pushing to retake power. Every Wednesday, hosts Swin Subasang and Will Summer check in on the movement of the radical right. Head to thedailybeast.com slash podcasts or your favorite podcast player to catch the first episode and get subscribed. That's Fever Dreams, which you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. John Anzalone is a Democratic pollster, and he's here to talk to us about the landscape for Dems going into 2022. Welcome, John Anzalone, to the new abnormal. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you. You come highly recommended from your friend and mine, James Carville. First of all, I mean, what is all this insanity? It seems to me like there are a hundred different things that are going to affect 2022 in enormous and also weird ways that we can't even calculate, like the census and all of these voter laws, these restrictive voter laws. Can you talk to me about what it's like in the landscape right now? Yeah, you know, I think that's right. I mean, there there's always a million things that it, that impact the political dynamics of a cycle, right? Especially midterms, right? Because you never know who the fuck's coming out and all that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, I think there's one big footprint here, is that the Republicans look and say, oh, we've got a Democratic president, and so historically that means great things for the GOP. And they kind of forget that, you know, all the rules have been kind of thrown out the window in the last five years for, de- for, for politics, right? And I think the one big thing that will impact the 2022 elections is action. Like, just like, who is solving problems? Like, voters are so incredibly transactional right now, is they just want things done. They don't know, they don't care who gets them done. They don't care how they get done. And we've got a president who, you know, you learn a lot about a president in the first hundred days, right? And, you know, he is like America's new Marvel action figure, right? He diagnoses a problem, you know, he puts a plan together, he gets experts around him and he executes a plan. And this is a guy who is now all about action and getting things done and getting things done quickly because America has a bunch of big problems and crises And they've been through a lot in the last year and a half. And he's the guy America is viewing as like in charge, filling a leadership void and getting things done. Do you really believe that? Yes, I truly believe that. And you see it. Listen, you see it in the numbers. I mean, the fact is, is that people didn't care how the American Rescue Plan got done. Like 64 percent of people, once they were given the full information, said, yeah, reconciliation process, whatever. Just get it done quickly. And the fact is, is that people are still hurting. Right. Republicans are like kind of tone deaf. They believe the, you know, COVID's cancel culture. Yeah. They believe that basically the economy is roaring. They believe they just, they're always putting their heads in the sand about what the problems are. They don't even try to diagnose the problems, let alone come up with a plan. But they do take responsibility for the 
American Rescue Act for things they voted against. That they voted against is is so crazy. But I I truly believe that like this isn't about aspiration. This isn't about big this thinking and whatever poetry. This is about getting shit done. And Americans went through the last year, and one of the things that the pandemic did was it exposed a bunch of inequalities, like inequalities in healthcare, inequalities in schooling, inequalities in the economy, you know, inequalities in racial justice, and they want things done for them. Okay, I both agree and also I have more questions. But one of the things I've heard is that Republicans are going to use the school closures as a way to hammer Democrats in the midterms. What do you think about that? They have a big problem, which is that Biden had a plan that I think $170 billion and the American Rescue Plan goes to making sure schools have the money to reopen, that they have the testing, that they have what they have to do with ventilation, all this type of stuff. And I think that the I want to say that the Republican counter plan was like $20 billion, you know, so they have they have nothing to really show for themselves. They love to try to find these wedge issues. They're like, oh, suburban women are going to be so furious at Democrats for school closings. When if you look or you talk with suburban women or anyone, they don't blame you know, the Biden administration for what's going on with schools. They blame a lot of different things uh, and they're frustrated. But the fact is, is that what's going to happen is a president who gets a 60 percent positive job rating on handling the coronavirus, a 69, 70 percent on vaccine distribution. When kids are going to school, you know, full time in person come September of 2021, they're probably going to give Joe Biden some of the credit for that. You seem awfully optimistic. Well, it's not about optimism. It's about reality. You know, there's a million things that can happen between now and then. And the Republicans are going to try to do use a bunch of different wedge issues, right? They're going to try to use the border. They're going to try to use immigration. They're going to try to use schools. But, you know, the one thing that the people kind of forget is like, you know, they pounded Joe Biden for six months in 2020, and his popularity increased during the campaign. And so they're going to have to do better than political rhetoric, which people are right now seem to be tuning out. And you can't, again, you can't debate a couple different things that they're viewing Joe Biden, you know, Americans, voters, et cetera, as a guy who's getting things done and trying to get things done. But there's a whole part of the population, I mean, not the sane part, that believes that Joe Biden isn't even president. That's right. And we're never going to get them. And, you know, they've kind of decided that, you know, in some ways they're not even playing ball. But they're a universe that we were never going to get anyway, Molly. And is, right. And Democrats were never going to get them. And here's the other thing is, is that those people, there's a universe of people who believe that who will never come out to vote again. Really? Yeah, because Trump told them that, you know, it was all going to be fine and he was going to be president. And I think that there is real evidence in that if you take a look at the Georgia Senate races, the difference between the November vote and the January vote and the number of, you know, basically Trump voters who fell off and didn't vote and they'll never vote if the cult leader is not at the top of the ticket. Okay, so let's talk about Georgia because in Georgia, Biden won Georgia and then those Senate seats were won by Democrats. So there was a fall off but it was it wasn't totally out of left field, right? There wasn't a seismic shift between the 
Trump voters who voted in the election, in the presidential, and who elected in the runoff. But there was absolutely a Trump off. And so it may not be seismic, but listen, elections nowadays are won and lost on the margins. It was in 16, it was in 20, and it was in those special elections. And the fact is, is that we'll take the marginal drop off from Trump voters and rural whites and non college right. et cetera, and our marginal increases in African-American and his Latinos, et cetera, that's what make elections. You know, that's what that's the winner loss. I mean, those are the W. Right. In Georgia, how much of what happened in Georgia was activists on the ground registering new voters? Well, I mean, there was some of that. We, You know, there was a universe, and it's quantifiable, right, of, of how many new voters were registered between November and January. So that's quantifiable. And then we know, you know, that there was universes of rural counties, uh, smaller counties, that where the vote dropped off. We know that. But I think the bigger point is, is that there's a universe of voter who is not going to come out if Donald Trump is not on the ticket. Right. If he doesn't lead the ballot, we don't know what that's going to be. We have some kind of idea maybe from Georgia. But the fact is, is that we've seen this time and time over American history and in in political figures is that often, you know, it just doesn't carry over to the next election uh, for that party if that person isn't isn't leading the charge. And I think that you're going to see that and you're going to have, again, either a popular president in Joe Biden or a president who is perceived as doing real things for real people. And that's important. But there's like this theory now that, you know, obviously the Republican Party is being led by the voters, not the party, and they want to see, you know, the cruelty enacted. Isn't it just that Donald Trump was really good at selling the cruelty a lot of the time? It wasn't just the cult of personality and that you know, we've seen other times like they've done well in other races where he's not been on the ballot and where the people tap into the cruelty. Well, he wasn't on the ballot in 2018. That didn't go all that well for him. And the fact is, is that Joe Biden's job rating on the economy right now is higher than Trump's job rating on the economy when he left office. His job rating on handling coronavirus, of course, is hugely better than than him. And I would also say that his traits, which are really, really important, are much better, even on the motivation things like, you know, uh, trying to do, you know, trying to do the right thing, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, the fact is, is that this is a divided nation. We know this. We know that these elections are going to be close, right? That's just kind of where we are in American politics. If you, again, believe that you win on the margins, I'd rather go and place a bet on Biden and the Democrats in terms of where Biden's numbers are still early, but also what they're trying to do is that they're trying to solve problems that American families are dealing with. And voters are transactional right now. I want to push back on that for a minute, because as someone who has grown up in the Democratic Party and is committed to the Democratic Party, we saw this in 2020 that there was sort of these low information voters were targeted and got in a lot of cases, right? In Florida and in Texas, we had some voters sort of tricked into voting for Trump. And we even hear this now. We have we hear people who say, well, Democrats like eat children. I mean, and this is like these people are being picked off. So if these elections happen in the margins, what you you're saying to me sounds like what I've had a lot of Democratic senators on here have said, which is, you know, if we do good stuff, people will see it. I'm not convinced that that's true. And I think one of the things we've seen with Trump is that 
in fact, I mean, it was no brainer, right? Hillary was wanted to offer people things and Trump wanted to offer them racism. So and I get where you're going. Here's the difference is the political dynamics have completely changed or really maybe the reality of people's lives have really changed. So you you elect Barack Obama in 2008. And by 2009, after ACA, he's totally handcuffed. And certainly after 2010. And then you have Trump. And so think about how long it's been where you've had a Democratic Party that has a president, has House and Senate, and actually has the ability to, to pass things that help people. That's the difference. Pre-pandemic, people were telling us, Economy's doing great. You sit there in a focus group, middle class families, working class families. I'm working hard. I'm not getting the benefit of my hard work. It's all going to the top. Then you have a pandemic and you get what? All again, the expose of all the inequalities in our systems, healthcare, economy, schooling, et cetera. And hence, Joe Biden's Build Back Better. People are not looking to get back to where they were. They're looking to get rewarded for their hard work, and they're looking to have opportunity in this economy. And the fact is, is that Democrats haven't had the opportunity to actually prove themselves and have real things done. And they're in that, they're in that situation right now. And it has been a very long time. So there's a big difference between being a Democrat and saying, I want to do all this stuff and I can't get it done versus I'm a Democrat, I'm a president, Biden, and we can get these things done. He's already started it. And and I just think that the whole dynamics are different, including the psyche of the American public, who are a little smarter on the political rhetoric and wedge issues and aren't going to let people, Democrat or Republican, get away with just kind of bloviating. I think we have to agree to disagree on this because, I mean, I wish I lived in this world, uh, but I'm not. I'm just I I mean, maybe this is why I don't watch cable (laughs) TV. It's like you're being sucked into kind of like all of the thinking of the past is like that it's just enough for the Republicans to throw up a wedge issue and, you know, for the Democrats to trip over it. And hey, those things may happen. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like naive in this. I've been in this for 30 years. At the same time, as all smart people, if we're not in a position to say, hey, we are living in a, you know, we all believe that we're living in a different time. But even today versus a year ago, we're living in a much different time. If we do things the right way, we are going to help a lot of people, right? Right. Well, that is certainly... Hello, Jesse Cannon. Hello, Molly Drunkfast. What in the hell are we going to those do fuckers. about these fuckers? Let's talk fuckers. about those fucking assholes. Oh, so much cursing. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. <laughs> Dad, I know you're listening. You know, the listeners of this podcast are known for being very sensitive to cursing. Very not, sensitive the, to cursing. Not, not the feature of the podcast. I feel like I don't have enough because we have this segment is called Fuck That Guy. We don't spend enough time on women. So this is the special mm. feminist. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Fuck yes, That yes. Guy, yes. where we just talk about women who suck. Because we are nothing if not woke over here. So today I would like to say that she is an inhabitant of Fox Business. She has enormous lips. I say this as a person who myself enjoys the Botox 
in my forehead. You don't have to make them so big. Like, we get the idea, <laughs> right? The yes. goal is not to become a caricature. Don't want to hit big ad rage. That's right. The money, honey. This weekend, she, she really provides a platform. She I like to think of her as InfoWars on network television. Mm. You know, she finds a, a way to get the craziest of the cray on there. And so this weekend, even though it wasn't the craziest of the crazy, she had Kevin McCarthy, who thinks he's going to be speaker in 2022, which is certainly theoretically possible, on so that she could ask him if he's going to uh, toss Liz Cheney on the dust heap of history. Now, this is in no way any defense of the Cheneys. And if anything, I'm happy to see uh, all of these warlord families out, including the Bushes, the Cheneys, whatever. Good, good, good riddance to bad rubbish. But Money Honey asked him, and he said, I support Elise Stefanik. So for providing a platform for just the worst of the Republican Party and for lowering the bar, if it could even be lowered, Maria Bartiroma, you are the fuck that guy of the next two days. So fuck you. Jesse? Yes. Well, mine shares a network. Well, technically, isn't the Money Honey's on Fox Business, whereas mine is on Fox News proper on the weekends, though, because... The weekends, I think weekend Fox News is the same as Fox Business. I'm kind of always shocked that she has a weekend night one because, you know, we, we know Judge Box of Wine loves to get lit. Right. It's true. Judge Box of Wine went on a real unhinged rant because any criticism of our justice system is out of line and because Fox News is always about making sure that this doesn't change at all and that the high ups and the powerful and the white people always get to keep their place of privilege. And she went on and on about how this is the greatest justice system, which is funny because I seem to recall she got one former guy to give a pardon to her ex-husband, and that might be why she likes the justice system, because it works for her and her friends, and she can't understand why it wouldn't work for anyone else. Yeah, that's right. Nothing says in touch with the people like Judge Box of Wine, who got a pardon for her husband, complaining about people wanting to change the justice system. Fuck you, Judge Box of Wine. On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from the Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.